for today is from Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward good work, love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This morning we get to kind of make a transition in this series on the foundations of faith, kind of transitioning from uh, what we were being taught about Jesus, who he is, and what we've learned, uh, to what we are then to do in response. You know, it would be easy for me as a preacher who gets up in front of you most Sunday mornings to get up every Sunday morning and say, this is the most important message I have to preach. Because each message, each message rooted in Scripture is, is so important that we attend to and that we, we listen and, and we take it in and we put it into practice in our life. But this passage this morning and this message this morning may actually fit that criteria. So I am going to say this could quite possibly be the most important message I have to preach. Because there have been so many challenges we have faced over the last few years that would threaten to disconnect us. Uh, just this last week, we had the two-year anniversary of COVID. Uh, sadly, it falls on my wife Beth's birthday, March 11th, was kind of the official, okay, we have a pandemic. And uh, I was actually returning back from Israel on a trip to the Holy Land. And I remember seeing at the airport signs that, hey, if you've been in China and this and that and concerns about the pandemic that we're brewing, it's been two years. I talked to the principal at Nevada Union High School the other day at a baseball game that Josh was playing in. And, you know, I knew she had just been wearied by the leadership in these two years. And I just said, you know, it's been two years. And she said, yeah, Monday was the first day the kids could come back without wearing masks. And it was like, okay, like there's some hope. But it has been a lot. You take that alone. You add political, racial divisions and strife. You take the war in Ukraine right now that, that causes us fear. There are any number of things, could, honestly, on any one Sunday morning, cause us to want to lift, just pull the covers back over our heads and stay in bed. But the invitation of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to connect with God in worship and connect with one another in community. And the writer of Hebrews is saying that that is so important that if we don't do that, we, we can become fractured, we can become disconnected. While the challenges we have been facing over the last two years certainly have been unique, in another way we could say that there's nothing new under the sun. And what I mean by that is the church where the original recipients of this letter to the Hebrews had incredibly cha- incredible challenges as well. They were facing persecution, uh, you know, living out their faith and, and trying to seek to understand what Christ's revelation meant for their rootedness in, in, uh, in, in the faith of Israel and the Old Testament. And so uh, there were incredible challenges that they had as well that could threaten to undo them. Well, in seeking to address those challenges, our writer, the author of this letter, has spent 10 chapters seeking to undergird our foundation 
by talking about things like the authority of God's word in our lives, our, our rootedness in it, uh, our, our worship of God, the God of creation who creates every living thing, and particularly the uniqueness of the creation of human beings in his likeness, in his image. And then he spent a lot of time telling us about Jesus, continues to point us to Jesus and what Jesus has done. And all those things now culminate in the middle of chapter 10 by essentially a therefore or so what. And the therefore or so what is that in view of all these things, in view especially of what Christ has done, we can find fellowship with God. You see, if the, if the letter of Hebrews had ended at uh, Hebrews 10, verse 18, we'd have some rich theology that could fill our minds and hopefully give us conviction in our hearts. But we wouldn't have this invitation to respond and all say with our feet where we go and who we are when we get there as well as our hands, the way we serve other people. In other words, it was an act of worship for you to get out of bed this morning and walk into the sanctuary for worship. Okay, And when we do that, we're moving from just our theology of what we you know, believe in our heads, and we're, invite, we're invited to bring our hearts, right? And we're invited to, to come before and figure out how to actually live this out. And so the lessons we've learned so far throughout this Foundations of faith series now lead us into living out those faiths that faith the doctrine the theology we've learned is meant to take tangible shape and form in the way we live and what we find first and foremost in this part of hebrews is we're not meant to live alone we're not meant to seek god alone he says, therefore, brothers, and, and this is Adelphoi in the Greek, and it's a, a way in the Greek you could say brothers and sisters. We're all in this. Therefore, brothers and sisters. And i got to stop there right away. So what he's telling us is we have been made family through Jesus. Okay? We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We'll talk about that more. United by faith in him, and we have become family. And I love, as a pastor, I mean, there's really no greater thing than watching a church become family. I I saw two ladies uh, in the first service that are single, uh, new members in the life of our church. They were both in the last new members class. And during the new members class sharing, uh, one said, oh, I really like to ride my bike and, and do these century rides. I mean, crazy bike rides. And I watched this other lady perk up like, I love that, too. And now, every Sunday morning, I watch them find one another as they're coming in to worship, and they sit together every Sunday. And they've become really dear friends. They've become sisters in Christ. But that connection is, is through Christ and our receiving him. Uh, in John's gospel, he starts out with really rich theology. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through him, all things were made. I mean, Jesus was involved in the beginning of creation. He was the vehicle through which God the Father created. I mean, just this rich theology that should like blow our minds. And then in John 1.12, he says, Yet to all who have received him, Jesus, to those who have believed in his name, he's given the right to become children of God. As we receive Jesus, as we welcome him into our heart and our life, we are made God's children. And if we're children, we are then brothers and sisters in Christ. United in him, made family. First Peter would say, once you were, you were not like a family, once you were not a people, but now you are the people. We are united through Christ as a family of faith. 
And the writer of Hebrews builds upon that sense that we're brothers and sisters in Christ through, through what Christ has done by then saying, let us draw near to him in worship. And four times in these six verses, the, the phrase let us is, is there. So it's really important. Let us. So as a result of what we've learned about Jesus, let us. And it says, let us draw near to the, to the throne of God. Let us move forward together. So what the writer is saying is we don't just approach God alone. We come before him connected as brothers and sisters in Christ and we draw near together. So he's not saying, hey, you guys really should come to worship. You guys should really approach God. Spend time with him. No, he's saying, let us. Like, like in this letter, I'm going to come with you and I'm going to nurture you and I'm going to encourage you because I'm there too. I'm trying to figure this out also. And so we have these amazing truths about Jesus' saving work, and now we have the practical implications that because Jesus was willing to live, die, and was rose again for us, we had meant to be living sacrifices offered back up to him. Not just in our words, in our songs, but really in our whole lives, heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that is how we form the church. We become brothers and sisters in Christ. And to quote the passage from our essentials that Pastor Greg used also last week, it says, The true church is composed of all persons who through saving faith in Jesus Christ and the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit are united together in the body of Christ. We, and, and, uh, and the church finds her visible yet imperfect expression. And I stop and pause. Imperfect. There is no perfect church. Neither our church or any other church. In every new member's class, I say to those new members who are excited about the, the church, you are not joining a perfect church. And in part because I'm here. And I'm imperfect as your pastor, as one of your pastors. But we are part of the visible, we are a visible and imperfect church expressing itself in local congregations where the word of God is preached in its purity, the sacraments are administered in their integrity, that's baptism and communion, where scriptural discipline is practiced. We're discipling one another. We're a family of disciples forming and supporting one another and where loving fellowship is maintained. In other words, our connection to God in worship is then meant to have implications for our connection with one another. It's as we hear God's word, as we celebrate people coming to Christ in baptism, as we will on Easter Sunday, as we celebrate Christ's death for us, when we celebrate communion, his life for us. It's as we disciple one another in our growth groups and other opportunities, uh, classes that we're shaped and formed, but also that we experience loving fellowship. A uh, long time ago, uh, in Scotland, there were actually six guys named John that got together for a weekend, including John Knox, the serious Presbyterian Scottish stuff. So the wearing the kilts today fit right in. Six guys named John got together for a weekend and they wrote something called the Scots Confession. And the Scots Confession, which became the formative document for the Church of Scotland, which Presbyterian Scotland, uh, talked about three primary uh, signs of the true church. So we're going to preach God's word with integrity. We're going to celebrate the sacraments, baptism and communion with integrity. We're going to discipline one another. We're going to disciple one another. But then in the evangelical Presbyterian church, of which they, we are a part, we, they added a fourth thing in the early 1980s, and that is where loving fellowship is maintained. We worship God. We hear God's word. We practice baptism, communion. We, we disciple one another, but we ha- may, seek to maintain loving fellowship. 
Dietrich Bonhoeffer is one of my heroes of faith, and you know, may know some things about Bonhoeffer. Um, he was a German pastor, was actually pastoring a church in England um, when the Nazi regime was taking power in and, and World War II, and the d- events there were developing. And at some point, Bonhoeffer, in a chapel that I've been in, uh, in Oxford, uh, England, felt a call to go back to Germany and pastor the church that he grew up in, even though he meant that that, he knew that that meant he was going to be putting himself in harm's way. And uh, Bonhoeffer, as the story continued, actually uh, felt so called to, to seek to impede the spread of evil through Hitler and, and the Nazi regime that he participated in a, a plot to assassinate Hitler. And eventually, uh, Bonhoeffer was arrested and, uh, and put in the uh, prison in Flossenburg, Germany, and he was hanged uh, for that action. But days before he died, uh, Bonhoeffer actually said, when Christ calls a man or a woman, brothers or sisters of faith, he bids them come and die. And Bonhoeffer was basically saying, Christ is so committed to us. I mean, he's already died for us. He already left heaven, came for us, that our response then is meant to live for him. And, and if he means that, that like laying down our life quality for him. And our seeking after Christ and seeking to serve him in passionate ways is what draws us together. And Bonhoeffer in his book, Life Together, illustrated this in a really powerful way. And if you haven't read Bonhoeffer's Life Together, it's not too long. One of the best books about community there is in Christian community. And Bonhoeffer had the image of a triangle. And he basically said, in Christian community, you and I don't relate together directly. In other words, if you're one point in the triangle and I'm one point in the triangle, it's not that then we, we just connect together. It's Christ being the top point of the triangle. And it's as we each seek after Christ that we find ourselves connected together. So our worship of God spills into and leads into our connection and community. Uh, I confess that I was in need of coffee for a service. I was at a track meet for Josh late last night, got home at midnight. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm tired today. And, and I was like, you know, I really need coffee. But before we go to our coffee fellowship time, as important as it is, we have to worship God first. Otherwise, we're just Starbucks. We could go to Starbucks. You know, they, they, I love our coffee gals. They do an amazing job. But there's probably better coffee we could find somewhere else. I'm just being honest. So what separates us from Starbucks? Jesus. Worshiping Jesus. And when we worship Jesus and when we find ourselves in him, drawing near to him, then we find our connection together. And apart from that, we're no different from any other fraternal organization or anywhere else you might go today. We unite and worship together, and then when we do, we find our connection together. So the writer essentially says, let us find fellowship and connection with God first. And that's the first, let us, and that that fellowship point of connection. And he says it three ways. He says, let us find confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. And then by a new and living way marked out for us. Jesus has marked the course to to God the Father through the curtain that is his body. And we're going to talk about that image because it's a really interesting image that somebody commented on between services. But the first thing there in fellowship with God is we find confidence to approach God. We find boldness uh, to approach him because of what Jesus has done. And the Greek word there for confidence or boldness is actually a political term. And it's basically finding your voice in a political sphere. It's, it's speaking up for what you know is right in an environment that you might be, feel shy or kind of reticent to do so. 
And uh, the example that I was thinking of, uh, that I thought of as I was preaching first service, was a few years back. Uh, the community was wanting to, um, uh, or I should say, the Nevada City uh, Council was wanting to approve um, some medicinal uh, marijuana dispensaries in, in our neighbor, in our community. And there's one just down the street. And at the time, they were talking about one just right over here, kind of on the other side of Robinson's. And I'm like, I'm not really as comfortable with it being that close to our church and you know, different things. So there was a night, a Wednesday night, where we had the gathering. Families had gathered, and we had youth group. And I said, hey, Josh, before we go home, I really want to go over to the, the council meeting. And I really feel like you know, I want to speak up about this issue. I'm concerned about its impact on our community. And, and we got there, and they're already meeting. And and there's some people from the church that we know, including Nate Beeson, who, who served in local politics, and, and some others that Josh knew. And, and, and so I got up and I spoke and, you know, shared my concerns. And, and then Josh was there and he's like, oh, isn't that Nate? Like, he goes to our church and he sees like three or four people around him. He hears me speak. And then all of a sudden, Josh whispers to me, he's like, Dad, could I say something? And I'm like, yeah, but you have to use the church address, not our home address. If you say 175 Ridge Road, you actually have the right to speak. If you say 10871 Terrace Pines Court, that's a Grass Valley address and they'll, they'll boot you. And he's like, okay. So he gets up, Josh Griffin, 175 Ridge Road, and he basically said, who's watching out for the kids in our community? And essentially, isn't this your job? You know, and and who's, who's being concerned about the impact this might have on, on the kids? Josh found his voice in that political sphere because he saw Nate and others who he knew and trusted, and he found confidence to share his experience in that setting. That's what we're talking about here. It's finding our voice to worship God. It's drawing near to him because of of what he's done, what Jesus has done to give us access. And it's where we find boldness to worship, boldness to come before him. Uh, This Sunday, Dave Anderson, who usually is in first service, sings in our choir, is down uh, serving the Lutheran church that he grew up in. Uh, He grew up in a Lutheran church, Southern California. There's maybe 15 to 20 people still in this church. It's a really small church. Uh, Through COVID, David was actually recording himself singing hymns and sending it down to them, and that was their worship leadership. They didn't have Bo. They didn't have Jonathan uh, leading in worship. They had Dave through a recording, and they sang along with Dave. Well, Dave, one Sunday a year, goes down to Southern California because his tax guy is still down there, and Dave wants to get his taxes done. So he goes down, he takes his taxes, he and Linda, they get their taxes done, and he leads worship in person at the Lutheran church. So Dave is singing. And so he usually, on that week before the Sunday he's singing, comes into my office and just says, hey, you know, pastor, I just want to let you know I'm not going to be in church this Sunday. Well, okay, Dave, you know what? And, well, I'm going to be down singing at the Lutheran church. And okay, Dave, that's great. You know, da, da. And then this time he says, you know, sometime we ought to sing a duet. And I'm like, what? He's like, no, no, we should sing together sometime. You know, I'm singing at that church. You and I should, should, should sing a duet. And I'm like, Thinking in my head, Dave, what are you smoking? Like, have you heard me sing? There's a reason I haven't been asked to be a part of the choir. I preach, you sing, we each use our gifts. You know, let's do it that way. No, you know, and we should sing a duet. I'm like, Dave, no, no, no. You go sing, I'll preach. Let's do what, you know, we're gifted at. But one of the things I've found in a few settings, particularly memorial services, Sometimes Dave will come and he'll, he'll sing and he'll lead the hymns that are memorial services. And when I hear Dave sing, then I'll sing because he covers me. 
His voice carries the day, and I don't really have to do much of anything. I just sing quietly, and I, I'm covered by Dave. Well, that's confidence to sing and worship and come before him that I wouldn't have in singing without Dave and somebody like Dave who actually has a good voice and can sing. We are meant to have confidence and boldness to approach God and to find fellowship with him. And we're meant to do it, it says, with gratitude. You know, when you and I are grateful people, when we're thankful for, we have this church where we can come and worship. We have this body, Christ. We're knitted together and we can encourage and support one another. When we find that connectedness and all, we we can be grateful for that. And gratitude spills over into one another's lives. When I see you smile and you're joyfully worshiping God, then I find my voice and I, I find joy in singing and praising God. And we have that kind of gratitude. It, 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 it's contagious. And the word says to approach God with sincerity. So we're doing confidence with, with gratitude, thanksgiving, and sincerely. We're meant to offer him our, our hearts in worship. This is meant to be heartfelt, uh, a conviction-oriented thing, not to be worshiping God mechanically and just going through the motions. And, and, and that is such a powerful image in terms of how we approach God and how we connect together. That Jesus is this new and living way. He's a high priest over the house of God. In other words, he's gone before us, and I'm going to talk about this some more, to prepare a place for us. And Jesus is the one person who can really cleanse our minds and our hearts and purify us and give us confidence to approach God's throne. Um, this last week, we were meeting with our, our base class. This is uh, our students, youth group, and uh, we were reconnecting mentor buddies with, with their, their, their kiddos. So a, a caring adult connecting with one of our students, and we had about you know, 10 or so of those connections or so. We were reconnecting or forming new ones, and we were having a, an interaction, and one of the questions was, you know, what is something that um, you have an irrational fear about? Well, you know, uh, some of the, the mentor boys, well, you know, he said spiders, he said this and that. Um, but the one that I wrote down was heights. And as I was talking to my mentor buddy, um, Jacob, I said, and I don't think it's irrational. I mean, you can fall. And, and, and this last week we were watching this documentary on Netflix um, where there's this free climber that, that climbs. And, and Pastor Greg reminded me, it was El Capitan. He's literally climbing up El Capitan and he's got nothing to, to catch him. If he falls, if he slips, if one of his fingers, you know, hits a little loose rock. I mean, there's nothing staking him, holding him up. He had confidence or boldness to actually free climb El Capitan. I was thinking it, it um, was Half Dome. And I was like, yeah, I hiked up the back of Half Dome. But I'm not free climbing Half Dome. It was actually El Capitan. But this guy had tremendous boldness to ascend El Capitan and, and free climb it and make it. Well, what kind of boldness or confidence do we have to approach God? If we really believe that Jesus has done everything necessary for us and for our salvation, we are meant to approach him with tremendous boldness and confidence. We can free climb. We can trust that he's going to provide the way for us to reach God, be in relationship with God. As we've quoted often in this series, 1 Peter 3.18 says, you know, Christ died once and for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. He has done everything that's necessary for us and lead us into relationship. He has sacrificed himself for us so that we can draw near and be connected in community together. 
And, and, if it's, and if it's about what Christ has done, then we can have that assurance. Robert Coleman, one of my favorite writers, uh, wrote a book called Written in Blood. And he basically is talking about how the covenant we, relationship we have with Christ, God is written through and signed through the blood of Christ. And uh, Coleman reminded me of something I had forgotten. Many national flags have red in them for a very specific reason. And that's because there's people within that nation who are willing to die for their beliefs that connect them. Our old glory, the red stripes, is about people willing to die, to shed their blood for the, the common cause of the United States of America. And many other national flags have red in them for that very reason. Well, our constitution, our flag, is about the blood of Jesus. It's he who unites us, who has shed blood. It's he who is willing to sacrifice himself for our salvation and for our forgiveness and for our cleansing. And if that's the case, what does that mean for us? It means we have a response to offer ourselves and sacrifice back to him. We're meant to, to, to know and trust that Jesus has provided a way and we can be assured that, that we can find that way through him. That, that Jesus' life and death and resurrection provides a roadmap to God. He is the way. I was sitting with one of our dear saints on Wednesday. Charles Black had called me and let me know that Norma was soon to go home to be with Jesus. And I got to go on Wednesday and, and, and bring Norma con, uh, communion. And while I was celebrating communion with Norma, um, and Charles there, and their, their daughter, uh, Noel, uh, we were talking about how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And we talked about John 14, and how Jesus says, I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back to take you to be with me where I am. And Thomas, doubting Thomas, he was doubting even before the resurrection, said, well, how can we know the way? What are you talking about? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. And I said, Norma, it looks like you might be going home to Jesus soon. But I want to remind you that in John 14, it says he's already gone ahead of you. And he's prepared a place for you. And I hope one day that my house is near yours. That we're not breaking fellowship here and you're passing to be with Jesus. This is just a foretaste of what we're going to experience for all eternity. Jesus is the way and provides the way to heaven and he unites us now in fellowship as a result because we have confidence that he's provided the way and that one day we're going to see him face to face. And I want to say to all of you, along with what I said to Norma, I hope that one day my house is near yours. As a result now, we can draw near with sincere faith and gratitude to God. We can have full assurance of faith. That's like confidence in our beliefs. These are true. And, and not only do we, our, our foundations of faith, not only is it true, but it's meant to be lived out as true because it's true. And when we affirm that truth, it says we have bodies washed with pure water. All our sin is washed away. And we are to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, again, with confidence. We come forward in worship and we hold fast in hope and our confession of hope because of all that Christ has done to seal the covenant relationship we have with him through his blood. And as a result, as a community, we don't have a contractual relationship. It's not, you know, if you do this and I do this, then we can be connected together. We are in covenant relationship together as a church, meaning we're, we're essentially married together. This is like a marriage covenant, united as family through Christ. And that marriage covenant, that, that covenant commitment was signed through Christ's blood. So it's really sure and true. And it was 
paid for at great cost. And as a result, we connect in community and we become brothers and sisters in faith, part of the body of Christ, and we're united together as members. And Paul used the image in 1 Corinthians 12 of a body that's got interconnected parts and one's like a hand and one's like a foot and one's like an eye and you can't say to one another you don't need one another. In fact, Mother Teresa said of the weakest that might be in a church or out in the world that it's only in heaven that we're going to know how much we needed the poor. Because people that are poor draw out compassion and sincerity for us. And, and our heart felt like, i got to do something. The people that are poor lead, can lead us to love in action. And it's so important that we stay connected in this way that Bonhoeffer and Life Together would say, in a Christian community, everything, everything depends upon whether each individual is an indispensable link in the chain that binds us. Only when the smallest link is securely locked is the chain unbreakable. A community that allows unemployed members to exist uh, within it will soon perish because of them. It is well then, therefore, if we find a way for every person uh, to know that they have a gift to bring and they have gifts to offer. No one is useless and no one is unusable. Every Christian community needs to realize not only do the weak need the strong, but also that the strong cannot exist without the weak. The elimination of the weak is the death of fellowship. We need one another, partly because we all find ourselves in times of weakness at different times and places in our journey, but also because even when we're a place of strength, we need that connection with the weak because that draws us into a heartfelt compassion that is Christ-centered and built. And as a result of all this, we need to find fellowship with one another. I can't encourage you enough, uh, try to memorize or put to memory uh, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 where it says, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, and let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I started the message by saying there's certainly enough out there that could threaten to undo us, divide us, and fracture our fellowship. And we've seen it, not only in our church, but in every church around the world, particularly the United States. Instead of allowing the day drawing near to fracture us and divide us, instead of allowing the difficulties that we have faced to separate us and cause us to point fingers at one another blamingly, instead we need to come together and consider how we can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. It's giving each other a kick in the pants, like you would kick a a horse to get him moving. And we all need a kick in the pants once in a while. And this is the kick in the pants message to get here on Sunday mornings so you can not only worship God together but connect in fellowship together and you actually call up somebody in our church who you haven't seen and say, hey, I miss you. We need to connect one another because as Rick Warren once said, we are better together and it is actually not about you. It's not just about my connection with Christ or your connection with Christ. It's about how my presence might be a source of encouragement to you and how your presence is always a source of encouragement to me. And how when we don't have that, we're going to become discouraged. And there's enough discouragement out there in the world to wear us all down. We need encouragement. We need the hope that comes through following Jesus together. We need that link in the chain where somebody else is going to be a source of strength when we're in a place of weakness and vice versa. And where we support and encourage one another as we continue to seek after Jesus. So the three applications in in closing. The first is hold fast to your Christ-centered confession. Believe with everything you got. Keep your faith on the foundation of all that God is and all that he has done for you. 
don't waver. And this is a church that I, I, we don't want to waver. We want to stay focused in our foundation. But we also want to hold on to God who is faithful. Uh, my statement of faith that I had to write when I became ordained as a pastor starts with the words, my faithfulness is in the faithfulness of God. Or my faith is in the faithfulness of God. In other words, my faith is not in my own faith, which my faith is in God's faithfulness, which is sure, true, and will never be moved. He is the rock. He's the foundation. Not you, not me, not anybody else. We need Jesus. But lastly, stay connected to one another in fellowship. Following Jesus is just simply too hard in this day and age to try to do it alone. Don't try to do it alone. Stay connected. Come to worship. Connect in uh, growth groups together. Okay, link up with, some, with another person as a mentor. Find that community connection that's going to solidify and encourage your faith so that you can continue to stay true and faithful in following after Jesus. We need one another. The best illustration for this, and I close with this, uh, comes from a church, uh, a pastor in England. He was aware of a parishioner, somebody who attended the church who hadn't been there for a while, and as a pastor felt like, I need to go visit them, check in on them, see what they're doing. He knocks on the door, and of course, the person who attended the church has this look on their face like, oh no, the pastor showed up. I haven't been to church in a long time. You know, he's going to talk to me about this. Well, the pastor came in and just said, hey, I missed you, and you know, I just wanted to reach out, and, and it was cold that night, and there's a fire there on the hearth, and there's coals there that are just, you know, and, uh, and, the, and the guy starts to say, the person who attended the church, well, I'm really doing okay. I'm following Jesus. I don't really need the church. I, I haven't really missed it much. And goes on with this kind of thing. Um, but then starts to share some struggles and things. And, and the pastor just quietly got up, took the tongs next to the fire, and, and removed one coal and put it over here. And he was just quiet. And they watched within moments. All of a sudden, that, that coal, piece of coal, just went out. Black. No fire. And then he went back and he took the tongs and he picked up the coal and he put it back in the fire. And, it, and I'm just going to finish this message by saying this. Think about that image and apply the insights accordingly. Amen. Amen.
If you walked out of the grave, I'm a walking too. Oh, if you walked out of the grave, I'm a walking too. Yeah. If you walked out of the grave, I'm a walking too. If you walked out of the grave, I'm a walking too. If you walked out of the grave, I'm walking too. Yeah. If you walked out of the grave, I'm a walking too. Yeah. If you